This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your go-to Iowa-based sports show, hosted by the one and only Elliot Clough. What's up, Cedar Valley? Hello to the Hawkeye State. This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your Iowa-based sports show, not on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube as you're watching there. And you can see our guest with me, you and I, insider for Town Square Media, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, Ethan Petrick with the premature wave in the background. <laughs> you said with our guest. I so. did, and then I introduced myself, so that was that was my bad. Ethan Petrick from the Cedar Falls Waterloo Courier, both of us, you and I, football, basketball, athletics beat writers for our respective companies, me, you and I, insider for Town Square Media, Ethan with the Cedar Falls Waterloo Courier. So sort of the meeting of the UNI football minds here this morning uh, in in our studios here. And uh, obviously we're not on a 94.1 KRNA as you see in the background, um, but uh, one of our Town Square media stations is where we're recording recording right now. This is the best studio we've got here. So Ethan, kind enough, to, uh, excuse me, kind enough to join us this morning. Um, you know, Ethan, uh, as you know, corn stocks and sports talk, Iowa based. So we don't strictly talk about you and I sports, right? Iowa, Iowa State, some national stuff, too. And there's other stuff going on in in Iowa and Iowa State sports right now. But with the way that game went on Saturday and the current state of you and I football, I told you in the press box at the game, we got to get you in. We got to get you in. We got to do this because we've talked about it a little bit before recording live. Um, and with that loss to Illinois State on homecoming, twenty three twenty one, we we just gotta we we had to had to have that meeting of the UNI football minds, like I mentioned. So I want to start with this, Ethan. What were you expecting going into that Illinois State homecoming game last weekend? Well, I put it in my three keys to win. I I, I thought that you and I was going to come away with a victory. I, seven, 17-14 was my score prediction. I thought it was going to be a defensive battle. I thought we'd seen enough in the last two wins from you and I's defense that they had turned the corner. Uh, and that's just simply not what happened. That's not what we saw on Saturday. It was right back to that Sacramento State frustrating inability to get off the field. Yeah, and uh, similar to Indiana State, too. What what we saw was, I think, what we're going to continue to see against the UNI defense throughout this this season, uh, the remainder of the season, rather. And it's the dink and dunk, methodical, you know, just deflating conversions over and over and over. I mean, you, myself, and a few of the other guys that cover UNI football were sitting up there just like, what is going on? Third and six plus. I tweeted it out. Every time you or, uh, Illinois State converts on a third and six plus, take a shot. And one of our listeners, I think it's it was Chad on Twitter, responded and said, uh, don't, you'll die. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> you might end up with alcohol poisoning. Right, that. right. That was, that was rough. And... It's such, and I know you're you're new to the UNI football beat. It is just the antithesis to what UNI football has been the entirety of the coach coach Mark Farley tenure in Cedar Falls. Well, like I told you, one of the first times I was on your show, I I, I did a little research after I got married at the beginning of August, and uh, watching just last year's team, this feels like a completely different offense. I told. Uh, some of some of my friends, I was like, it's 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 kind of been like a tractor trailer situation where the defense has been pulling the offense as a trailer, and I so I look like a fool because they they, <laughs> they 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 look at the stats that I was telling them about the game I covered, and it's it's the complete opposite. The offense is pulling the defense. Right, right, yeah. Um, I mean, and and it's this this whole keep away notion that we've talked about that has been the the theme of the season so far is it makes it that much more difficult for the offense to complement the defense because the offense moves so quickly up and down the field 
So it's not it's not a efficient dink like we've talked about the dink and dunk. It's not chunk here, chunk here. It's big plays. It's a big play offense. So you you have the defense on the field for an extended amount of time because of the way the opposing offense is playing and because of the way the UNI offense is playing. Well, that's what I asked Coach Pop yesterday at the press conference. I said it looked like you guys had a breakdown in complementary football. The offense wasn't sustaining drives when they needed to, and the defense was getting stops when they needed to. And he said that boiled down to execution. Well, I dug a little bit further into it after the press conference, and every single one of UNI's drives lasted a shorter amount of time than the shortest Illinois State drive <sighs> lasted in the first half. So the longest UNI drive was like three and a half minutes. The shortest Illinois State was three minutes and 53 seconds. Wow. So it, it, it you get the defense out there. They, they're out there for eight minutes. Vance McShane, as he said, the offense gets tight in the postgame. Yep. And then the defense doesn't have enough time to make adjustments on the fly. And so it's just it, it's just a frustrating watch. And, and one thing that I said to some of my friends that, that attended the game as fans, and, and I think I might have said it to you in the press box too, is it's not an entertaining product to watch for football. And if there's anything that you and I athletics needs, especially on a game where there's heavy amount of attendance, like homecoming, is to be entertaining. And that's what that offense brings. But when it's only out there for two, three minutes at a time, you're not going to get that. I'm going to read some of these stats that I that I included, and I'm sure you included in your postgame article. The Redbirds held the ball 35 minutes and 25 seconds to 24 minutes and 35 seconds for you and I. They converted on 13 of 23rd downs and were 2 of 2 on their 4th down completions. Uh, Red, the Redbirds ran 79 plays to UNI's 58 for the entirety of the game. It's just it's, uh, frustrating. that If you're going inca- <laughs> to encapsulate the UNI football season so far, especially for the fan base, it's frustrating. Well, that's how I led the story I wrote for today's uh, print. It was the frustration was palpable. You could just feel it by the time we got to the end of the third quarter. Uh, it was just, everyone was just a little tight. There was an air in the Unidome that just it just felt everyone was frustrated. And then in the post game, uh, you know, disappointment was definitely one of the emotions I was reading off the guys. But uh, Farley, especially, you could tell he was frustrated just by the way he was talking, rolling up that rolling up his little stat book there and, and smacking it off the table a little bit. So you, you can tell that they're frustrated with how things are going so far. And I think especially for Farley, it's because he finally knows he has the offense that can get it done. And it's the defense that's not getting it done this time, which, again, it's just the antithesis to what you and I is and, and has been for such a long time. And, you know, t- you have to give credit to Illinois State where it's due too. I mean, they executed their game plan to a freaking T. Well, to a T. It's the second week in a row that a team has come in with the exact same game plan. I'm gonna. They they come in. They say that they're gonna run. They do it. They convert. They sustain drives. I not there was every single Illinois State drive was double digit plays in the first half <laughs> last week. So it, it's it, the book is out. The book is out on you and I. You don't want to see their offense on the field, and you would like to keep the defense on the field as long as possible. Which is just painful. Like <laughs> having seen it is one thing, and then hearing about it again is a is a whole nother. Um, and so, as we're looking forward to these these games coming up here, um, you know, to lose, you know, I'm gonna backtrack here. We talk about the offense from Illinois State, the defense from you and I, right? That's that's the big. If you look at the game as a whole, that's what you take away. But then you look at those final two possessions, the five twenty six of play. You and I had the football twice with an opportunity to win the football game with Matthew Cook on the sideline. Arguably, if not, he's he's the best kicker in the MVFC, if not the best kicker in the country, a preseason All American. And that first possession, 
I would have called a timeout before that fourth and eight. Uh, granted, it, it turned around into the favor of UNI in that situation. Would you have called a timeout there? I, I, I liked the call, the decision-making by Farley and company to, to sure. hold the three timeouts to the end of the drive because uh, you, know, you give yourself a little bit of extra time to, I guess – you know, decide what play call you want to go with on that fourth down on the second to last drive. But you you, you have plays drawn up for that situation. So you, you got the he's got his laminate piece of paper that Colbert <laughs> asked him about. The infamous yes. laminate piece so of he's, paper. He's got the uh, Bodie Reader's got a fourth and eight play. Coach Farley's got a fourth and eight play that he likes. They they got that stuff figured out. So I'm okay with not calling a timeout there. They did seem a little rushed, so I, I think that does lend itself to your your calling for a timeout in that situation. But I like keeping it because there's no guarantee you convert there and you need to get a stop. You need to get another chance at the ball. And it did work out for him and they did get down into field goal range or field goal attempt range. Uh, so I, I liked keeping the three timeouts in that situation. And I suppose what I was thinking in that moment was, well, looking back to the North Dakota game where uh, the I think UND took over with like six and a half to go and just ran the clock out. And that's exactly what Illinois State was doing all game. So and, and there's no guarantee of that next possession, right? You and I held them to a three and out, used those three timeouts effectively. But that's that was my thought process there. Well, I you, you look at the stats and the defense had played significantly better in the second half. They only allowed that's three true. points. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think Farley trusted his defense at that point. And you're in a situation where you know Illinois State's going to run the ball three times in a row. There's no need for them to pass. And if they do, I think he trusts his defensive backs enough. They, they have enough awareness to, uh, to see a pass coming that they're going to be able to make the play if, it's a, if they try and break tendency and, and throw the ball there. So I, I think Farley made the right decision at the end of the game there. And then that final play, I don't remember. I think it was a second or third down where Theo took the sack. It's literally the last thing you need in that moment. Uh, what, what, what were your thoughts on that final play? Well, I, that that, that might have been a situation where uh, a timeout would have been useful. Yeah. Obviously, they were out of them because you could have called a timeout, told Theo, you know, hey, the last thing you need, you can do is take a sack, throw the ball away. But also, you need to have that coached into your players before the game happens. And so it's unfortunate that that's the way it happened. But like I said, on the, the second to last drive, they were they looked rushed and they looked rushed on the second drive. Uh, so I like going for the pass because if it hits the ground, it's stopping the clock. Right. But... It's just it's just unfortunate because you felt like they had it. I was feeling pretty confident at that point that they were going to come back. I was too on that final drive. I, they took over with one eleven yeah, to go one yep. eleven. And I, it, excuse me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's that second drive where uh, where um, that pass to Dom went for twenty eight yards, or was that the the the, the drive prior? I I, I'll, I can look at the play yeah. By play. I, we'd have to go back and look, but I think that was that 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 final drive where where Dom that pass was 28 yards and he ran towards the middle of the field instead of going out of bounds which was you know I, I to a degree he was trying to make a play so so I, that that makes sense and you have to adjust when they move the chains that stops the clock too so it's not like it's the NFL you know they they they're not doing continuous clock there or running the clock there but um ultimately on that final drive, that sack not only took them out of field goal range, but it ran out the clock, and uh, it was just, it was tough. To, it was, again, it's a situation where it's tough to watch because what I tweeted out at the end was just an awful finish one, and then I said it was embarrassing, and I, that's kind of how I feel about it. And, you know, granted, Illinois State's now receiving votes in the poll. They're a talented football team. They have a lot of talent. 
uh, or some talent maybe is, is probably more accurate. Zach Anik's dad from Minnesota, of course. Uh, the uh, the Zeke Vandenberg, who leads the MVFC in tackles, sacks, and tackles for loss. So they have some really talented guys on that roster. You and I is a better football team. Yeah, and I, I I never felt that you and I wasn't the better football team watching that game on Saturday. Uh, even as you know the defense was struggling to get off the field, you just always thought, hey, if they just get a stop here, you and I is going to take the lead and they're not going to give it back. And that's kind of, you, you feel, if there's a one more minute on the clock, you and I wins that game. Because they pro- they're not going to look rushed on the second to last drive and they're not going to look rushed on the last drive. And so... I have I have no I, I do I do think that there have been a number of times this season where the the results on paper do not bear out what you actually saw on the football field. Yeah, uh, North Dakota. You look at that game. You look at this game from this last week. I think the second half of Sac State versus UNI is indicative of that. You know, throw Air Force in the trash can. Yeah. That's just a, a, a outlier. But this team is not is not two and four talent wise. And the the holes that are there so far, at least in my mind's eye, is very clearly that this team is missing Jared Brinkman, MBFC Defensive Player of the Year for two years now with the Toronto Argonauts. Um, and which, congrats, Jared. I, I know Jared. I've interv- uh, talked to him a few times. I don't think I've actually officially interviewed him on a show or anything. But uh, very good guy. Very happy for him. But you and I defense is definitely missing his presence on the interior. And then... There's gaping holes in the zone defense. Gaping hole. I mean, this it was like a refusal to play man-to-man, and that is what a large part of those third-down conversions, that's, that's why they happen. There's guys just wide open in the middle of the field. And when you have athletes that are capable of defending those guys, like Edwin Deerman, like Benny Sapp, like Wu, like uh, 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 Steph Black, there's too much talent on the field that can cover man to man for this to be happening the way it is, in my opinion. I think in a lot of those third down situations where you you saw Annex did roll to the right, I think they were a little con- little over concerned about his ability to run because mm. he is he was a dual threat guy out of college or out of high school when he went to Minnesota, and that's how Minnesota tried to use him. And so uh, there were a number of times where you'd see Annex did roll to his right, roll to his left, look downfield to pick it up with his his legs and. Uh, the def- defensive back would come off of his coverage to come up and make the tackle, and then he would just right before he got to the line of scrimmage would throw the ball. Yep. And so I, I, I think that's just an issue that you were seeing because the pass rush wasn't getting home, or they wouldn't get Anixon on the ground. There were a number of times where I, it, it, that was probably the most frustrating thing: is the pass rush would get there, Anixon would just break the tackle and, and run away and and find know, an open yeah, guy exactly. for six yards. Yeah. Which that I, I yeah I think I think that's it right there. If you were to point to one thing specifically about that game this last Saturday, that's the thing that took the air out of the dome, right there. Because it'd be third and eight, and a play like that would happen, and it was just over and over again. Like I mentioned, thirteen of twenty. Now, the solutions we can talk about the problems over and over and over again. And of course, you and I aren't football coaches; we're in the media. But what are the solutions here? Does you and I offense, do they have to slow it down a little bit? <laughs> do you look at uh, the, the issues of, of tackling again? Do we not want to let uh, opposing teams get those chunk plays on thirds down? Obviously, that's, that's the, the, the big thing. But how do you address that? Is it switching up the coverage? Is it playing man to man? How do you how do you fix these issues at hand for you and I football right now? If you are Mark Farley, Ethan Petrick? Oh, if I'm putting on my Mark Farley hat, uh, I'd. I'd go to Coach Reader and I'd ask if we could maybe see a, 
our two stud running backs a little bit more. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you got Vance McShane averaging five over five and a half yards per carry. Dom Williams over five and a half yards per carry, but they're only averaging about 10 carries a game. If we can see those guys maybe 15 times a game, I, I think that you're going to help us. Uh, establishing the run game is going to help you and I so much more than, than w- the offense and the run game currently is helping you and I. Because I feel like we've you, you kind of tried to pull a stat that didn't end up being a stat, but they just seem to go like three and out every game to start the game. Yep. And it's because it's three passes and then they're putting the ball away. It's it's three passes, all incomplete, or they don't get 10 yards, and then Pettinger or Losher runs on the field. Right. Uh, I, I think if you ran the ball a little bit more to start the game, you could help get the offense in a groove. It would you know cause, uh, cause a little bit longer drives because you're burning the clock with the run game. And I think that would be majorly beneficial to you and I. I, I just that that's been my biggest thing is I, we haven't seen enough of the run game. Definitely, and I I completely agree. Uh, and to boot, you have your two talented running backs, and then you have Harrison Bay Bowie, who is a cha- talented transfer from Eastern Illinois. And the little bit that we've seen, granted, it was against Western Illinois, has been encouraging. And he was a stud out of high school, and he's a guy who can pop you if he needs to. Oh, and talk about the comp that Coach Austin gave him, the running backs coach at you and I. In your article, yeah. Terrence Freeney. If you're saying you have Terrence Freeney at you and I right now, that's got to get Panther fans excited. So let's let's see him a little bit more. That was a guy that ran for a thousand yards in the valley. Right. And helped helped you lead you to a national championship. And I mean, <laughs> I I've spoken with Harrison a little bit. He is thrilled to be a Panther. Thrilled. And to a degree, I mean, obviously, there are guys on the team that haven't seen the field yet and probably shouldn't see the field yet just based on developmental purposes that are also thrilled to be Panthers. But you throw that into the factor of of the talent that Harrison Bay Bowie has, and you want to see guys like that get the field as as uh, as a media member anyway. And, and I'm sure fans feel that way, too. Well, I mean, I don't want to get romantic about college football. Anymore, but that's why you love college football, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, you know you have guys that are out there and they love the school that they're playing for and they're they're putting it all on the line. Maybe not so much so at the uh, FBS level anymore with NIL. But right, right. At the FCS level, that's alive and well. And that's one of the things I love about you know going to a Panther game is I know that these guys are putting it all on the field for things that are not monetary. Right, right, exactly. And, you know, it's there. It's there at the FCS level. You know, the the, the Cedar Valley does love their Panthers, so um, it's just not quite to the degree of, like, what Caitlin Clark just signed with yeah, Nike, exactly. you know. Um, but one thing that I do want to address before we continue here on, on Cornstalks and Sports Talk this morning, uh, Kale Losher is in the hospital last, I heard, with uh, an unknown sickness, thought it was pneumonia. We're not really sure how it's, it's continued right now, but... Um, I believe his girlfriend, Fiona Riordan, is selling uh, bracelets that say fight like a Panther, hashtag Team Kale. Only five bucks. I'm going to see if I can reach out to her and and get a link um, to, to what we can do there. But that will be in the description on YouTube and all of the podcasting uh, platforms. Also get that out on Twitter. And you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Elliot Clough on Twitter. I'm sure Ethan will either tweet it out himself or retweet what I've got. You can follow him on Twitter, too. It's Ethan underscore Petrick. Um, so I'll probably just read to you. You do because okay. it, it is a race. So I got yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey man, you helping me out with that that app we talked about has been huge. Um, but uh, that's neither here nor there. That's that's media info we can't share. But um, Fiona Rordan again. Uh, that that uh, she's selling those those bracelets for for Kale, and uh, we'll see what we can do here. Uh, I'll reach out to her today and and get that out and available for for Panther fans. Um, 
Last thing on the UNI defense before we move forward, look a little bit at Utah Tech and talk a little basketball before we let you go. Um, I said it several times. I, I think I said it to you in the press box during that game. UNI is they they're facing Utah Tech this coming weekend. Obviously, a very different matchup than what you're going to see in the Missouri Valley Football Conference. But going forward, UNI still has to face Missouri State, South Dakota State in the Dome, and then they have to travel to Carbondale and take on South Southern Illinois, and then they have to travel to uh, Vermilion to take on on South Dakota. All four difficult matchups. South Dakota, they've been the uh, at the mercy of a oh, just a brutal schedule. So, uh, Southern Illinois has started to figure it out. They they've been playing pretty good ball. Missouri State starting to fall off a little bit. Still receiving votes because of the just ridiculous talent they have on the roster. They beat UT Martin earlier this season, who is a ranked top 25 team in the FCS. But Jason Shelley comes to town. I don't care how struggling their how much their their offense, how much their defense is struggling, how much they are, they're struggling as a team. They're two and four. He is going to shred the UNI offense or UNI defense as it currently sits. Well, I mean, if you're sitting here thinking that you and I, if, if you and I is four and two, and you're feeling really good, and they just they're coming off a win over Illinois State, you're probably thinking, hey, maybe we can take care of a Missouri struggling Missouri State team. But it's a struggling you and I team too, right? So right, two teams that are pretty much at the same spot in their season where they're both struggling, kind of uh, already fallen below their expectations for what they can do this year. So I think that's still going to be a very very tough matchup. I don't know uh, a whole lot about what's going on uh, with Missouri State, why they're struggling so much. I haven't been able to catch a ton of film. I don't know if there's any specific injuries going on or anything, but their offensive line is putrid. So that's that's the one issue that's glaring for them that I know of. I mean, you got Jason Shelley, who's arguably one of the, I'd probably say, a top three quarterback in the FCS, top five. Um, and then Jacardier Wright, who's a transfer from Oregon State, running back for them. They are nasty, man. Like talent wise, I don't know what's going on. Uh, I mean, losing to North Dakota. North Dakota's fine. They're I just really don't think they're as good as they're perceived to be after beating UNI and now after beating Missouri State. The biggest thing about North Dakota is they're very experienced. They have a they right. have a lot of veterans that are starting for them. Maybe not so much on the defense, but on the offense, they are pretty veteran laden. Right. And so I think you have a lot of guys who just you know. They might not be as talented as as a, a freshman at Missouri State or a freshman at UNI that's <laughs> yeah, playing, but yeah. they have that that just that knowledge, and it's helping them get over the hump a little bit. And, and you and I, you and D is not blowing anyone out. No, and I think it's purely because they have veterans. I went on record going into that game against UNI saying. I'm really not impressed with Tommy Schuster. And then he was like 22 of 24 for like 300 yards that against does, you and I. That dude does not throw deep balls, but he is efficient. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now, uh, looking forward to this pre uh, to the to preview in Utah Tech a little bit. I'll have an article on uh, the KOEL website, any of our Town Square websites as well, previewing that game. Uh, Ethan will as well. So so check that out when it's available. He gives keys to the game. I give things to watch. So we do a different perspective, kind of complimentary for for you and I fans to to check out there. I also don't do like a, a score preview. Do you do a score preview? I do. I do predict. The, I, do, okay. I do attempt to predict. I'll, t- I'll try to tell you how the game's going to go. Okay. Uh, we have a correspondent that does it for Iowa State, so I just kind of copy his model. Nice. There you go. Okay. So if you want a, a prediction for the score, go to Ethan. Uh, and if you want one from me, you'll have to uh, address me directly in public and put me on the spot. So we'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Uh, Utah Tech, this game this weekend... Any thoughts there? Any uh, anything that you've seen that that sticks out to you about Utah Tech? They're one and four for anybody that doesn't know. And uh, 
recently went from Division Two to Division One, so it's kind of ugly there uh, for for the uh, Trailblazers at this moment in time. Well, you, looking at the schedule before the season, you would never would have said this one is a must win, but it kind of feels like a must win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's I, true. I, I just feel like if uh, I I don't expect them to struggle with the Trailblazers, but uh, you know they the Trailblazers did put up thirty three on Sac State in their loss to the Hornets yeah. earlier this season. Garbage time points. Yeah, I, I mean I. I I, I think I don't I don't know if you're going to necessarily learn a whole lot about you and I in this game, but they have to win this game. Yeah, I talked with Eric Sorensen a little bit after the game, and he's like, yeah, our back's against the wall right now. I mean, effectively, maybe not, but to a degree, I think you have to start considering you and I football has to win out right now. I, I would I, I I said on Saturday in, my, in my one of my stories that they they have to win out in at least in the valley because you, you didn't get that Sac State win right last year they got that Sac State win which helped them with suffer a couple losses in valley play and then they got that upset win over South Dakota State so I I think absent the the Sac State victory this year you need to go and you need to win out in the valley to have a shot they don't have an impressive win on the roster or on the roster on their schedule so uh, yeah, far yeah. Uh, they, I mean they should have when we were talking I talked to PD a little bit I don't know if you talked to PD before the game Peterson the uh, the uh, Scott Peterson the uh, uh, color guy for JW Cox on on the play-by-play calls PD came over and asked me what's your pr- prediction for this game I, like I said, in person, can't do it on in paper, but <laughs> in person, P. I said thirty-eight to six. I don't think, I don't think, and then twenty to fourteen. So uh, the, the wins that they've had haven't necessarily been impressive. I mean, you look at Western Illinois. Western Illinois is awful, and uh, you know, I I love the the play by Wu there, the back to back pick sixes. That was awesome. You and I both know Wu, great kid, um, but no impressive win so far for any sort of people on the committee to look at that and say. These guys are. This is a playoff team. It, the, the the Western Illinois game was an impressive, impressive performance. It wasn't an impressive win. Like, yeah, there it, you it, go. It was a feel good victory. They kind of dominated them. It was a little closer than it should have been at the beginning of the third quarter. Oh yeah, but they they separated at the end. So and then and then same thing with the Indiana State victory. It's this could have been an impressive win if they'd won by more. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the the win this last weekend. Could have been impressive if they pulled it off in the last little bit. If they were, uh, if they if they handled it the way they should have, well, essentially. We were, we were kind of discussing it on Twitter before the game that yeah. if they get the next two wins, they should definitely be receiving votes. Right. And uh, I, I I didn't think it, either of us thought that they were going to be a top twenty five team with a win over Illinois State or or, or Utah, Utah Tech. Tech. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it, you're. You're just looking to build your resume right now, and they're not building their resume. The only way to build that resume is if Missouri State somehow wins a couple games and looks really good in the next week or two, and you beat South Dakota State at home. Uh, That's so- it. Southern Southern Illinois is going to be a nice. Oh one if they yeah, get that one. Yeah, I forgot about Southern Illinois. My my apologies. Yeah, that especially in Carbondale. Yeah, yeah. So you you got to win those games if you're if you're even going to sniff the playoffs, um, and you can't have a silly loss too like the illinois state loss last year like um uh that missouri state loss wasn't silly because missouri state's good but you and i should have won that football game well we're talking schedule a little bit Uh, this was a very tough schedule just in terms of the construction of it you take on a fbs opponent who's you know top of their conference last year and an air force right out of the gate and they run a weird offense and then you have your first conference game right after that the second week of the season there was basically no break and then have a super late bye on top of that, it 
it nothing went in you and I's favor in terms of schedule this year. Right. And on top of that, you had to go to Grand Forks, which they've won like 35 season openers in a, in a row. Grand Forks is a tough place to play. And then you play Sac State, who hasn't trailed a single time so far, not even for a second. They haven't trailed for a second all season, ranked number five in the country. Troy Taylor is a damn good football coach. That's their, his first victory against the MVFC with Sac State. But just a brutal start to the season. And I mean... When you again, when you look at the talent, some things go you and I's way instead of, you know, virtually almost everything going in the way of the opponent. And you and I's four and two, five and one right now. Uh, truth be told, like truly, uh, you know, the final score might not indic- in, be indicative of that, but that's the way it looks to me at this at this moment in time. Well, you lose to North Dakota by two points and you lose to Illinois State by two points. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one possession goes your way. And those are victories. And that's what Farley said. I, I, I can't remember after I, Sacramento State was the loss that he said it after. But he said 12 minutes has defined my, our season. Yep. If you take away the change, those 12 minutes. We're, we're two and one. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Now, now, again, looking to Utah Tech, uh, you and I haven't do- dove too much into that. Our previews, again, they'll be available within the next few days. Uh, you can just follow us on Twitter to make sure you get those. But in regards to Utah Tech, what they look like to me is a team that trans uh, transitioned from D two to D one recently. They played Sacramento State, like you mentioned, kind of got the the brakes beat off of them, and then uh, recent or their only win so far this season is against Shadron State, which you'll know because they're in Nebraska and they're D two. They won fifty six to ten, which is a game they should have won. Yeah, I mean, if you're losing to Shadron State, you should probably not be moving up to D. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they're a team that likes to air the ball out from what I've gathered quite a bit of turnovers uh, but their lead running back has has put the the ball uh, on the ground quite a bit and run pretty well too 77 attempts for 460 yards six yards per carry five touchdowns but then you look at their quarterback who's uh, I think going to start in Victor Gabales and he's 21 of 62 and he's thrown seven interceptions to just one touchdown well and I, you know, I hate to I hate to say that this is an indicative stat, but every time you and you and I has played against a team that struggles with turnovers, Western Illinois, Indiana State, they've kind of you know just preyed on that, and so I, I feel pretty good, pretty confident going in. You know, this is another turnover prone team. I think you and I is going to have, uh, you know. It's not, I don't want to call it a get-right game, but it's going to be a feel-good victory at this point in the season. We talked about the Western Illinois being a get-right game with with Spencer Cuvalier, uh for that first win of the season, and he's like, "Yeah, no, we want to respect." Not you know, that's the right thing to say. Good job, Spencer, Captain. He's and again, same thing. Spencer, a good dude. He's he's saying all the right things, but yeah, it's a for us. We can say that it's a get right game. Well, Farley called it a, essentially the same thing as a bye week in his press conference. Oh, afterwards. he did. Yeah, he said I didn't catch uh, that. Indiana State was coming off a bye. He said you can say Indiana State is coming off a bye, but last week we we really focused not so much on Western Illinois, but we focused on ourselves. So, so I'm like, what you're saying is you kind of looked past Western Illinois. Yeah, yeah, I, and yeah, Farley. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't surprise me, if, if we're being honest. Um, and, and last thing we'll we'll get to here, now, again, we're going to do further evaluation of Utah Tech in the next few days. I'll talk about them with a Utah Tech football beat writer on, on Saturday as well. Last thing that I want to address before we get you out of here, Ethan, because we're a little over 30 minutes now. Uh, I'm assuming uh, we talked about it, uh, so I know for a fact we talked about it before we started recording. Uh, Coach Gamelia Heligba and then Seth Tuttle put out some some gifts about uh, excitement 
without giving away too much. That's the signature Seth Tuttle thing. It's a SpongeBob gift. If you want to know, or gift, if you want to know somebody's committed to UNI basketball to play, it's a SpongeBob gift from Seth Tuttle. Uh, any any idea? Uh, we don't know anything specific regarding that. We haven't heard anything. We don't have any uh, any news from sources or anything. Any any idea of of what you're thinking there of of who committed? Just based on uh, you know. What you've seen on Twitter, a feel, obviously, again, not anything specific. We don't know the exact person who committed, why they committed, anything like that. Uh, well, I think we kind of uh, discussed just two names. Uh, Wes Rubin, the recent decommit from Loyola Chicago, who got a UNI offer two weeks ago. And, uh, and visited with R.J. Taylor on his official visit. Yes, and visited. And then also Kyle Pock. And uh, just, just with how quickly things have been going for Rubin, I don't think he is far enough along in his decommitment. Uh from Loyola Chicago to, to make that decision to choose you and I. So I think it's going to be Pac. I do too. And there might be somebody that we just don't have a gauge on either. I, I don't, I didn't know much about RJ Taylor before he committed. And then also, of course, the kid from Turkey, Agapexari, yeah. who, who recently committed this summer. And so it could be somebody we don't know. Kyle Pac is going everywhere, which that's, I, I think that's the thing to do if you're a recruit, especially if you're getting official visits where the school's paying for everything. You go, you go and check things out. Yeah, you get five of those, so you better use five. Right, right. And uh, again, like you said, Wes Rubin, not too far away from that decommitment uh, from Loyola Chicago. I think he wants to look around a little bit more. I'd be really surprised if he doesn't. Um, so if I had to guess, it'd be Pac. And that really does a lot for this 2023 class. If Pot commits and then later down the road, Ruben commits too, this 2023 class gets really, really solid really, really quick. Of course, we know about uh, RJ Taylor, what he brings to the table. I think he's a quintessential UNI recruit in that he's a great kid. He's incredibly invested. He's exactly what what Coach Coach Jake wants from from his commits, and and he's doing quite a bit to to go out and recruit other guys like Wes Rubin, who's his teammate at the uh, the Mean Streets. Yes, the N. What is it? The YBL. YB. I almost said NBL. That's the Australian Basketball League. <laughs> but Pac, as we're as we're looking up, I just pulled up his twenty four seven sports profile. Has offers from Indiana State, Lipscomb, Missouri State, Oral Roberts, South Dakota State, and SEMO with interest from Wisconsin, too. So he's a 6'6 forward from Bolivar, Missouri, uh, class of, of, of 2023. Three-star, according to 24-7. I think the biggest thing is getting a, a big man in this class. Because if yeah. you look at the roster down the road, it, it gets a little little lean on, on big men in, in UNI's roster. There's ton, They have plenty of guards. They're really fine on uh, at guard, but b- getting a big is is pretty crucial in this class. You got Cole Henry, you got uh, Chase Corbat from Cedar Falls, and Corbat's still a development and progress sort of thing. Henry, I I love Henry on on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I don't know how much you got to see him because you I think you started halfway through basketball season. Is that correct? Kind of towards the end of the valley season. Okay. Well, so you didn't get to see much of Henry, and he is so fun on the offensive side of the ball. If you don't hear a mention of him playing quarterback in high school at least once per game, the broadcasters aren't doing their job. Um, He's awesome in the pick and roll, really fun. It's the defensive side of the ball. If he figures that out, which if there's any staff that's going to figure that out, it's, it's Coach Jake and his staff. If he figures it out on that side of the ball, he's going to be a force in, in the, 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 uh, the lineup for you and I. I mean, I'm going to take your word for it. Okay. As, as we already established, Cole Henry, I didn't get a lot of exposure to him. Uh, so I, I'll take your word for it. I think 
if you're looking at just this season, Austin Fife is also crucial if they can get him back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's still up in the air. Uh, I'm assuming we're going to learn about that at Media Day next week, which uh, Ethan and I will both be there, and uh, I'll get some audio, and we'll see what we can put together. But uh, Ethan Petrick from the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier joining us today on Cornstalks and Sports Talk. Ethan, we appreciate you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And that's going to do it for this Wednesday edition of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk. Thanks so much for tuning in, folks. If you missed any part of the show, you can always listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, when we have a guest, it's always going to be on YouTube. So you can find that interview with Ethan and I on YouTube as well. And lastly, make sure before you go, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or YouTube, that you make sure you leave a rate and a review or leave a like or drop a comment, etc. That really helps us out with exposure. I had a few folks talk to me this weekend at the UNI Homecoming game and ask me how they can help get some of this content out. And that's Exhibit A right there. You can retweet stuff from me. You can share. You can Drop a comment, drop a like. You can leave that rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out a lot in terms of getting the podcast out there. So once again, Ethan Petrick joining us today. He's at Ethan underscore Petrick on Twitter. He's from the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Thanks so much to him for stopping by and helping us out. Talk a little bit about UNI athletics, UNI football and basketball on this Wednesday. So once again, folks, I am Elliot Clough, UNI Insider for Town Square Media. You can follow me on Twitter at Elliot Clough. Don't forget that link in the description and on YouTube to purchase one of those bracelets for Kale Losher. So thanks so much, folks, for tuning in once again. My name is Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter, and this was another edition of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk.